Welcome back to that rugby podcast hosted by the Sports Booth, joined by myself and Husey. Husey, Husey, Husey. Not a lot of rugby happening in the world, especially in the Southern Hemisphere. A little no. bit in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but there's still there's still headlines that we can chat about. There's still yeah. still some ideas in theory that I've come up with, and uh, we're going to put pen mm-hmm. to paper and, and make some arguments around a couple of things. So still a lot of exciting, exciting things happening in the rugby world. But we're going to kick off with some Super Rugby news, which um, is... Th- that the Blues and Chiefs are going to be heading to Japan to play some Japanese teams in the 2024 preseason, which is interesting because the Japanese season yeah. kicks off in December in about a week, week and a half time. So they've yeah. obviously decided to slot these into the a middle break somewhere. I know um, Japan does have a, a break somewhere in the middle of the season. Um, yeah. But I think this is fantastic. I'm hoping if this can garner enough interest that this could be the introduction to a potential cross-competition cross, cross competition play, uh, very similar mm. to the European Championship um, over here where you have yeah. all the English, French and, and, and URC sides competing for, for a title. So to me, that I've got uh, but now being in England, you watch the Premiership, you get excited about the Premiership, you see the URC, you see the top 14. I'm actually excited for that European champion, Club Championship. I don't think I've ever truly cared this much and again I still really don't care yeah. but it's more it's the uniqueness of it I think there's no other competition like this in the world with club rugby um, that plays across multiple competitions and I'm hoping if that this preseason tournament can or not even tournament games again the Reds have done really well with hosting some games I just go there could be a viable answer here for a wee Asian Champions League yeah. you know and the, and the Rebels, I believe, played some games as well. Yeah, I agree. I think we need to take away, and I, I guess it, it kind of fits it if they're going to almost devalue Super Rugby a little bit. And by what what I mean by that is by make it so Super Rugby games aren't the be all and end all. You know, I guess you look at it like the NFL. Every single game in that is a be all and end all. A, a single game can completely change your season. But if we to adopt a more European model like uh, English Premier League, they play those cross competitions. The English Rugby uh, Union League, as you were just saying, they play those cross competition games as well. I think it's important to, I think it's it's fun to, as long as you introduce it and you almost have to make people be like, you, you have to get, if you're going to have this cross competition, you need to almost put it on a higher level than Super Rugby and put it as this is the highest level. And the way you do that is by you don't invite all Super Rugby teams to it. You do it like you're going you for Champions League and you have to finish top four to be invited to it or top eight. You have to get to the finals to to um, to qualify for it, you know? Yeah. Something like that. There has to be a demarcation line. Um, and, in that, and then you go up be, going up against the best teams from Japan as well. Maybe an Argentinian team's in there, although they're in talks to come back into Super Rugby anyway. But yeah, you put it up there. And then, you know, the Japanese League, they've got players of international caliber in there, you know? So how great would it be again to see, you know, Malcolm Marx plays over in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. You know, how good would it be again to see Malcolm Marx playing against the Crusaders or the Waratahs or the Reds and stuff like that, you know? Get that bit of that South African vibe back into things as well as the best Japanese talent as well. So you need to make that competition. That competition then needs to be promoted the most. Yeah. Right. Um, and, 
yeah, I think it, it's you, it's it's all again like a lot of things to do with rugby. It all comes down to marketing and comms, which they've fallen down with. They're showing some slight improvement, especially with Herbert at the range, but it's still the area where rugby is the most behind probably any other sport. Yeah. Right? I don't know if I've seen another sport that's as badly marketed and communicated than Union. Yeah, agreed. And and I like what you said. I think you 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 put the line as four. So top four go through. So even if you make the final Super Rugby, if you make the top four, it gives it real value. Um, yeah. Top four, I think. I think there's twelve teams in the top div in um, Japan one league. I may be wrong with that, but um, uh, that would that would be perfect. You know, you'd have you know eight teams in there, two pools of four, two teams in Japan, two teams in New Zealand. Then you go semi-finals, finals type thing. Just a small doesn't need to be a big one. Do- Sorry. Reduce the Super Rugby season as well in the weeks that you take out of the Super Rugby season, make it a cross-championship thing, a new broadcast detail for the broadcasters, so they're not losing out on games. In fact, there's more games in there potentially as well and different markets, you know. Exactly. So the Japanese and that way we're not market is some, huge. Exactly, and we're not seeing so many repeat Super Rugby games, right? Reduce it down to every Super Rugby team plays each other once, Yep. right? And then, um, uh, and then you have those extra weeks that you generate. Be a Pacific Championship, easy. Totally. And and the way I see it as well um, is, I think it was like, is it eighteen or it was like twenty players from that Super Rugby final are playing in Japan in the top mm. league or a top two leagues. So we're talking about this. This isn't a, a cakewalk competition in more Japan Pro League One. You know, this is a the top top competition in the world with a big amount of money, big amount of investment. It'd just be dumb not to try and sort out something to, to globalise this and therefore not have to bring in a Sun Wills or anything like that to, to degrade the Japanese competition exactly. and degrade the Super Rugby competition. So to me it all points, like the more and more games I think we get there, the more and more interest, the Japan markets, they love rugby, they will sell out stadiums like the French do, I think. I think Super Rugby teams will go out there and sell out. I think, like you've said, a, a, a chance to see a Fafta Klerk or a Malcolm Marks playing against the Hurricanes would get me down to a game. Um, along yeah. with the rest of the, those Japanese players, so yeah, again, marketing schedule wise, that have to just be smart make it about it. Two, yeah, two two pools of you have eight teams, two pools of four, right? Each team in each pool plays each other once, so that's three weeks of competition right there. The top two from each pool go through, and so that's semi-finals, finals. So another two weeks, so that's just five weeks. It's essentially f- five games, right? Five game competition doesn't need to be massive. We could build up over time if these competitions expand, but started at that level, right? You get some good quality. Uh, get some good quality games in there. Why not? You know, totally, totally. couldn't agree more. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're hit trending towards that direction with more yeah. and more. Or, or you, even, you could even expand it out. You know, that's that's maybe a little unambitious. You know, if you want to go a bit more ambitious, two pools of four. Each team plays each other twice: once home, once away. Like UEFA Champions, so you have a home and away leg, yep. right? And then again, and then top four teams. So finals is just two weeks. So yep. or you could do finals is three weeks if you take the top three teams from each pool. Seed one and two go to buy. I like, like I like that. top two teams and just go semi-finals. I like top two teams as well, yeah. but just if they wanted to get an extra week of competition in there. But if you have every yeah. team plays each other twice, home and away leg, right? That's six weeks there plus two weeks of finals. You got an eight-week competition. Yeah, and and I think you could do something. Can you do during this is happening? There's obviously eight Super Rugby teams not playing, so you'd put those two eight teams into some. In season tournament format, and again, it's yeah. not. It's just like to get an more FA games, Cup style. Exactly like something like that, so that they're getting games. Um, there's something like that happening. I don't know how it'll work, but again, I think there's just so much potential there for the Super Rugby season, and I love the idea that if you do that, Super Rugby becomes eleven games, 
every game is just about a must-win game. Even with the eight that make the final, you only have 11 games, so you can't afford to slip tell up. You what, what I mean? Tell you what you do with that. Eight teams that haven't, that aren't making it through, you do you do an FA Cup style where it's based on seeding from last year. So the number five team from last year plays the number 12 team, number 16 plays the 11th team, so on and so forth. And it's just a straight knockout tournament, right? And that, then you'll get, what, f- four weeks of competition, right? The, the, Eight the, to four, four to two, two to ish, one. The issue yeah. you have with that is those teams, if we say, let's say this Asian Champions League, are playing, what, potentially eight extra games. Whereas a team in these bottom four, bottom eight may only play one game. Yeah, because, that's true. I guess you want so, everyone to you want everyone to play the same amount of games. And again, it makes for the TV rights if you just do a in season bottom eight tournament. Again, and put a put a cash prize on, put put something on there where they get something of value. I don't know what it is, but you you do something. Even well, if you, you know what, I'm actually I'm actually not opposed. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm not oh, actually right. opposed to those lower teams that would get knocked out in this elimination tournament playing less games because it almost balances things a little bit, right? It gives them that little extra advantage that might mean they make a push to challenge one of these top teams. And we stop seeing, you know, maybe the top four teams just consistently running over everyone else. They get that little bit of an extra break and it levels out the competition a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you get eliminated from it early. Okay, great. You've now got another three extra weeks where you can be resting your players. And that means you might be fresher going into the, um, into the postseason, so you might. So then, what that does as well is you might see for this elimination tournament, you might not see the top squads from each of these teams play. You might get some more exposure to those younger and up and coming players. Actually, yeah, and this is the way I'd do it now. Now, now you now we're, we're spitballing here. We're working on it. Yeah. But I'd go right home Australia. And, take, take note. Yeah, <laughs> I'd go. I would actually go home and away for this knockout tournament. And I know it sounds yeah. ridiculous, but that means and you do minimum, aggregate and stuff. And you do aggregate, and the minimums two games. Then yeah. the maximum, so you do that all the way to the final. Finals, obviously, one off. Maximum is eight, same as specific one. I would just yeah. do finals one off and just go final. So you'd have maximum seven. But again, like you said, yeah. they get at least minimum one week off for one of them. The others are still playing high-level rugby. You're getting – and the, the thing with that is TV rights, is we're getting same, yeah. same some more games on the TV. And again, you could do it. And again, this was pre-you mentioned that idea. What I like, I like that idea better. But you could do, say you hosted a tournament in Fiji or Sama, or Tonga, and yeah. say it was just two pools of four and you did something like that, that, that would be really cool as well. But, again, there's there's so many ideas there and, if we set this. And what you can do as well, this. right, For quali- to make it even more, to get add a little bit of weight to it, right, you say that actually only the top three teams from Super Rugby go through to the Champions thing. So, therefore, Super Rugby now has to have a third fourth place game like the Rugby World Cup, right? And mm-hmm. then the winner of this tournament earns the fourth seed spot into the Pacific Champions tournament, so that way there's always that extra weightiness uh, to this in-season tournament. Yeah, I like that. But see, you we're, we're probably playing those games at the same time. Yeah. So lots to think about, but again, yeah. lots of good ideas there. I like it. I like it. again. It starts with this Asian Champions League. I think if you get that going, you just it's just a such a viable resource for that yeah. around the season. Get it going. We need to just expand. Rugby, you know, we need to play off its strength as an international sport to differentiate it from NRL. If we keep it as a domestic competition, and I do include the way the competition is currently is a pretty much domestic competition, right? Because it's the same as the NRL, right? The NRL is Australia and there is a New Zealand team, so you do count New Zealand in that. That's primarily what Super Rugby is, even though, yes, there is the Fiji Endura and Moana Pacifica, right? They both majoritively play out of Australia and New Zealand, right? 
Fiji is it, Fiji is probably this season. The, it depends on how many games they play in Fiji, right? But when, when they get to the point of a majority of games being played in Fiji, I think that's when you start to classify as more of an international competition. But otherwise, it's directly completely competing with the NRL. Right, there's not that many points of differentiation. This be a great point of differentiation, right? How the NRL couldn't do anything like this because the closest league is in England or France, right? Mm-hmm. There's not they, they they couldn't do a competition like this. Whereas Japan, sure, it's still a distance away. I'm not saying it's next door like you know the UEFA Cup is with all those nations there, but it is significantly closer, significantly closer than Europe. And yeah, and again, and even some of those games, you know, you got England and Italy and. And there'd be some travel time there. Like it's not, mm. it's not. Again, exactly. I just yeah, I just I think it's it's a great idea, and I don't know why we haven't jumped at this sooner. I imagine there will be lots of talks if this these preseason games go down well in Japan, which I'm excited for. Yeah. I think there'll be some 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 good chats. Um, just something I did want to discuss. Obviously, um, I've done a recent video, and we're going to touch base on this again on um, Mr. Scott Robinson and what he's working with potentially for the next All Blacks team. Um, and he's come out and played a little bit coy with who's going to be the next All Blacks captain, um, which is really interesting. Obviously, Sam Kang taking sabbatical. Then there's no guarantee that he'll come straight back in. Um, yeah. I think everyone just thinks it's going to be Scott Barrett because Scott Barrett has <laughs> been um, the leader of the Crusaders and, and Razors. I will say that's the first name that came to my mind. But Scott Barrett also has the, um, I guess, the, the moments of stupidness is what I'll say. Where he's been Ricardo before, he's a little bit ill-disciplined. He may be a great leader, but again, the All Blacks is another step up. Fits right in with the Sam Kane mold, then. Yes and no. Like Sam Kane is never purposely an idiot. I still like you know we know, discussed that's, that, this. That's just a dirty shot for the World Cup final. Locks, locks. They lose some air up the top. They, they, yeah. they don't. They, they don't have it Black all going oxygen. on their head. Yep. That, yeah. Like, like we know that. We know with locks, it's a, it's a struggle. So. I just sit there and I go, unfortunately, I don't think there's much better option. Like, I look around the team. You know the reason why they call them locks is because that's actually how they had to be kept as children in their cribs. They had to lock them to them so they would stop throwing themselves out of it and hurting themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, no doubt. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I don't see anyone else in the team who could be. I'm just, just yeah. running my mind through it. Look, you, you look around. Obviously, Artie will be back eventually after a sabbatical. Um, and I imagine he'd be pretty close yeah. to it. But while a New Zealand captain, in my mind, should be playing a New Zealand rugby, um, I look at someone like, I don't, again, Geordie Barrett. Potentially he's been in that system long enough now as well. So, yeah, so Geordie Barrett potentially, but I, I just don't see another person other than Scott Barrett taking it. So Yeah, it's hard, especially because it's the year after the World Cup where there is that exodus, mm-hmm. uh, typically as there is after every World Cup, uh, a new coach as well. Um, and your sort of second captain, I was going to say he's a backup captain, he's not really, but second captain in Artie Savia is taking a sabbatical. It's like, you know, it's there's, there's not a lot of leadership candidates out there elsewise, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, sometimes the the most obvious choice is is the best one you don't need to always go left field with everything but i think i i think razor is um 
what he's doing is he's not just he's creating an environment where he's not just going to hand things to people people are going to still have to show that they have to earn it you know he's not going to just turn around and hand something to someone as much um trust and respect as he i'm sure has with scott barrett and as much time they've had working together that's that is within the crusaders ecosystem they've got to now operate within the all blacks ecosystem it's a different animal it's a totally different animal right uh and you know obviously the, i think the all blacks would be thrilled to port over the crusaders uh winning styles habits and mentality as they have done over the years to keep that trend going you still got to make those adjustments right from what foster was doing and did very well to what razor can do um and I think he it's also a tool for him to show all the other All Blacks players coming from all the other super rugby clubs that, hey, just because I was Crusaders and we went we went to war every couple of weeks doesn't mean I'm gonna overlook you for Crusaders players. I'm the All Blacks coach now, so I am the coach of of all New Zealand rugby. So I will open the opportunity and it, maybe that creates an incentive for someone that we're not thinking about to come in and and take that captaincy to really show that leadership that they maybe didn't have an opportunity to do when Sam Kane was there, when Artie Savia was there. You know, you can you can have too many leaders, right? Before you can lead, you need to be able to follow, right? So there could be someone in there that we're totally not thinking of that um, might step up and be a really good candidate. You know, uh, another name that sort of came to mind, probably, you know, I, I can't, you know, he's going. Where where is Richie Mwanga going? Japan. He's in Japan. Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's stepping away, right? So Damien McKenzie's probably going to come in and fill that ten role. He could be someone, right? Like, look what he did with the Chiefs this year. You know, look how he directed them to you know top seed. Yes, yeah, they may not have gotten to the grand final, but they played really good rugby. So well, they did, um, the no, they did make it the grand final. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> but they didn't win the grand final. Sorry, yeah. win the, I, for some reason I thought it was Blues versus Crusaders game, but no, that was last year. Last year. God, yeah. it's just too, there's too many Crusaders. Titles. It's just, <laughs> yeah, well, they just to each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he didn't lead them to a title. There we go. But he did lead them to the final. He did show that leadership quality. He quite literally smiled in the face of adversity. It became a meme. You know how he would smile while other Fans were booing him when he was uh, at their ground, when he was lining up to take a penalty kick, you know, uh, which is like a classic, you know, um, playmaker trait. You know, usually we see it from the halfbacks, like your Fafta Clerks and your Nick Whites and stuff like that, Aaron Smith. But to have that come out of a 10 as well is, I, I think, really good. And, you know, he's, he's in line to, to take over that um, starting 10 spot from uh, Richie Monger as well. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, he, he's another name that could potentially come to mind. And maybe uh, Razor does think, look, I, I want to pick Scott Barrett, but may, but you might, he might think Barrett would be a better captain than McKenzie, but for the team, for my overall leadership over the group, the better net effect would be McKenzie. Like Barrett might be better individually as a captain, but for the whole team, McKenzie would be the better captain to unify everyone. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know those inner dynamics. So I think that's another thing that he is still negotiating his way through is that he needs to see how the other All Blacks players respond to each other, you know, because he's only had the experience within the Crusaders ecosystem. Yeah, totally. Totally. Some good points. Um, On to your Rugby Australia, who... yeah. 
have um, won and lost at the same time, I guess. Um, Harvey Norman dipped his sponsor, um, but they've got an $80 million line of credit, which is huge, I think. Um, Personally, I can't stand Jerry Harvey, so I'm more than happy to see Harvey Norman go. walk away. <laughs> just, on a personal, just on a personal note, you know, yeah. like his, his ads where he's coming out and with the – so you probably – you wouldn't have heard them because you're over in England, but after Optus had their massive outage here – he gets on the radio and said, oh, really, Australians kicking Optus while they're down. You could come get a special Optus deal at Harvey Norman, acting like he's there supporting the the little guy when he pocketed millions during COVID from relief packages and stuff. Um, and I keep hearing his voice on the radio, and I can't stand it. Just a <laughs> terrible person. And I think probably someone that Rugby Australia would do well to walk away from to 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 remove their elitist image. Now, I think they need to look for sponsors where they are, where they probably have more invisible figureheads there and less prominent personalities. I think that's probably been one of the issues with Rugby Australia is that the people who are sponsoring it or are leading it have become, the individual has outweighed the group. You know, you only need to look at what we discussed last week with Hamish McLennan, right? Where he became, he became bigger than the role. He tried to make himself bigger than the role. And look what happened, you know, uh, Twiggy Forrest, as great things as he's done for the game, particularly for the Western force, you know, uh, he is a larger than life figure. Right. And, and, and were you seeing elitist billionaires and stuff sponsoring rugby? It adds to that elitist image of the game, which is not at all the game, which we know we've both played rugby. We both know the people who play rugby, right? We, you just look at super rugby, you know? How many of those uh, kids, particularly the Islander kids for Fiji and Dura, went to private schools? Not that many of them, you know. It's it, people come from all walks of life to play uh, rugby union, so I think that's the image they need to uh, keep cultivating more and more of, right? Getting more people involved. So I'd like to, you know, I, that's that's a, that's the reason why I like the Cadbury sponsorship of the Wallabies, right? You know, Qantas they did have Alan Joyce as the head. Who, and again, like McLennan, he became bigger than the brand and he ended up walking away early because of mismanagement and things like that. Mm-hmm. Cadbury, I couldn't tell you who runs Cadbury. Right? I know <laughs> nothing about Cadbury. Right? They're not in the news at all. I mean, some people could argue they, they should be more, but they're, they're not, right? They have good public image. And so I think you need to cultivate sponsors with um, good public image, which is why I think the 4 and 20 sponsorship a couple of years ago for uh, Subby's Rugby was such a huge hit. And to and to, to start streaming the games with their influence and then them coming involved with Super Rugby as well. So, yeah, I think definitely the more brands without big figures behind it that you can get into the game, the better. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more, I think, yeah. Especially in Australian rugby, it is, like, it's not, it's definitely not as big private school thing in New Zealand. Everyone yeah. plays rugby, obviously. Um, yeah. But in Australia, it is, you can take, take note. It's not... Doesn't shine through in the club rugby, but it shines through yeah. in school rugby. Obviously, you see it all the time. You see, see what's happening there. Um, but yeah, again, a good, a good, good pickup from Phil War again, and what he's trying to do with this eighty million dollar line of credit is all the good stuff: marketing, um, building up community pathways, high performance, and then getting money and in in the next few years. Rugby World Cup, British and Irish Lions tour. Um, so it's about getting returns now on this credit. So it's not just about paying back this credit; it's about getting returns on it, using this to make more money. Totally. And and if, 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 if he can manage it right, he's got all opportunity to do so. So, look, I think AU, again, Phil War taking another step in the right direction. Um, just going to see how his performance goes over the next four years.
Yeah. Uh, our next topic for today, we are going to rank our five best teams ever. Um, ever, ever, ever. Now, pre-podcast, Yuzi obviously um, did a bit of thought into this and said, actually, Luke, what do you mean by this? Because is this, are we just talking about nations? Like, are we talking about teams to ever do it? So are we talking about, like, the All Blacks? Are they the number one team? And we're just saying that. I've gone for specific teams. Yeah. Yuzi's going to try, because he was thinking more of that route to come up with specific teams on the spot. Um, so yeah. his may be, don't go so hard on his, but you can judge me for who I am. Um, yeah, it was a very nebulous topic in the run sheet. So yes. I'm, I'm adapting on the fly. Yes, so we'll see how you perform. But I will start. Yeah. So to start off with, I have actually gone with a super rugby team. Now you probably think yeah. five teams are going to be all internationals. I've gone with a super rugby team. I've gone with the 2018 Crusaders. Now the reason oh, I've gone with the 2018 Crusaders... Um, is in 2018, they only lost two games. They lost to the Highlanders and the Hurricanes, but they had their biggest points differential and their finals run was impeccable. They, I believe, let me pull it up, they, so in the quarterfinals, they beat the Sharks in Christchurch 40-10. to 10. They then in the mm. semifinals beat the Hurricanes 30-12. to 12. And then they beat the Lions 37-18 in the final. So pretty much winning every game by like 20-odd points. It's just, you don't see that happen, you know, in Super Rugby at all, where, you know, a team is just that strong and that team was that strong, only losing two games. So that's who starts off my list. Second, or that was fifth. Fourth, I'm going with Australia in 1999. The World Cup winning Australian squad. Now... Obviously, one of the best, if not the best, Australian squad. I think they're better than 91. Again, that may be recency bias and the fact that I was alive during this World Cup. Um, but John Eels, all players like that come to mind, um, just was one hell of a team. In the third spot, I have England in 2003 because I actually think if Australia, if Australia had won this World Cup, I probably would have put the Australian team. That's how good this Australian yeah. team was. The fact that England bet them, to me is just, I look, I look back and I go, I watch that Sterling Mortlock, I watch, you know, Gregan again. Yeah. I just go, that Australian team was something else. That was one of the best teams you could probably put on a pitch and the English bet them in a final um, in Australia as well. So England could have been higher. At two, I uh, South Africa team had to find their way into the list. What one it was going to be was, a, I like the 2017, 2017, 19 was tough because they actually lost the All Blacks in the pool stages. 20 and 23, they lost to France, uh, Ireland in the pool stages. So I went with 1995 and the team that yeah. beat New Zealand in the final. Because, again, it's one of those ones where the New Zealand team that time was just, again, so incredibly good to beat them in a final is is incredible. And just like England yeah. there. And my number one team to ever do it, that ever I think will ever do it, I think I know who this is going to be. It's the All Blacks of 2015. Yeah. 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 It can't, can't be yeah. anyone else to beat that Wallaby side in a final like that to just the way they cruise through that World Cup where, you know, again, back-to-back -back had never been done, expectations mm. were high, and they just did it with ease. So there's my top five. Crusaders in 2018, Australia 99, yeah. England 2003, South Africa 95, and New Zealand 2015. Husey. Amazing. Look, I, uh, you know, it is a, it's a, it's a good list, and there's no doubt about it. Um, 
Look, my number five team is going to be a Super Rugby team as well. I'm sure you can guess which one it's going to be. Waratahs, yeah. Of course, the 2014 Waratahs. You know, just a team of destiny, right? To break the curse and to beat the Crusaders by one point in the final, you know, it's just the Crusaders who have been such a a dominant team for so long, right? Uh, To do it in front of the home crowd and the way they did it with that kick to win the game, the incredible balls on Bernard Foley to make that call to say, yep, I'm, I'm good enough to do this. I can get, I can make this kick. He was also the uh, leading point scorer that season. Top try scorer was Israel Folau. Uh, just a team that you've watched that team and you just thought this team is different from every other team in this competition. This is just a team. They just were quite literally built different with what, uh, with what, Israel Folau could do with how Bernard Foley was playing. Nick Phipps coming into the team just added that dimension that they were missing. Jacques Potgieter coming in for, um, as well was just, he, he added, again, he added something to this team. There was just, you could, you just saw this team and you thought different. That's why I put them there. And also personal bias uh, <laughs> as well. I will, I will admit. Um, so, Slight differentiation to your team. Your list begins uh, begins now. Um, I do have the 1999 Wallabies in my list, but I don't have them here. Uh, I have actually the 2011 All Blacks here. Uh, this team, the, I, I remember watching the final against France, right? And it's very reminiscent of how South Africa played in this World Cup. Uh, in the 2023 World Cup and how the All Blacks played in the finals in this World Cup as well, where France threw uh, the kitchen sink, snails, frog legs, the Eiffel Tower, everything at the All Blacks in this uh, tournament, in that in this final, and just just couldn't crack it. Couldn't even get a, a penalty. You know, 8-7 win in a grand final is an incredible display of discipline. Right, the discipline to not give up a a, a kickable penalty in, in that, or to not even to not have a penalty kicked successfully against them, to win eight seven is just it, it's it's mind blowing, right? You know you, that to me is more impressive than the twenty twenty three World Cup final win, even though that was by point. Even more impressive than the South Africa's run in this latest tournament because of how low scoring that was, because there were so few opportunities, you had to capitalize on them, and. Uh, New Zealand didn't allow France to do that, right? So I, I just think, I look at that New Zealand team, you know, they run through the finals as well, beat Argentina pretty handily, beat a, a decent Australia team uh, as well. Uh, and then to, to have that nail-binding finish against France was just just incredible. It's, 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 I remember watching it as low-scoring as it was, it was pure rugby. Uh, I then have the 1999 Wallabies after uh, ahead of that at in the number three spot. You you spoke to it all um, pretty well there, and there's not much more I can add add on to it to be honest. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, uh, for this discussion, my top two are the same as your top two. Uh, 1995 <laughs> South Africa again, much like the 2014 Waratahs, team of destiny, end of apartheid, Matt Damon. You know, just incredible stuff uh, for that team, and to take down the All Blacks as well. Just it just you know it just adds an extra little bit of thumbs up for me to say, wow, you know they beat the you know beating the All Blacks. And then number one team, I, I don't think 
anyone could ever disagree with this. Um, and especially with how well the Wallabies played as well, the, the skill of that Wallabies team, uh, the 2015 All Blacks, I don't think you're ever going to see a more complete team than that. Um, I don't think you're ever going to see a, a team as deserving of a World Cup win as that. And I think, um, I, I think Australia, this kind of this final kind of slips under the radar in Australia because of how heartbreaking the 2003 World Cup final was. But this is another World Cup final where, um, against any other team, Australia could could have won. Right against any other team, Australia would any other year. This Australian team would be a World Cup champion, you know. But I think 2015, the stars just aligned. People's parents um, gave birth at just the right time for all these players to be on the field at the same time to just have this incredible team of uh, All Blacks legends that will go down uh, in history. So 2015, uh, All Blacks for me is the top team to ever do it. Couldn't agree more. Um, as we both had them at the top of our lists. Um, but let us know in the comments who you think maybe the greatest team is to ever do it in the rugby mm. circle. Um, that is us for today. Um, obviously, we have some bias towards Southern Hemisphere, but fair enough. Actually, did, did a team from the Northern Hemisphere even make your list? No. Yeah. Had, yes. Yeah. For your list, England. Yeah, your list. 2003 England. Oh, my list? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't be silly. Don't be silly. <laughs> yeah, so we had one one Northern Hemisphere team. Oh, fair enough. Win yeah. more World Cups and maybe you'll find yourself on the list. Exactly. Come come second place in more World Cups as well, you know. Stop making an all <laughs> Southern Hemisphere affair. Just... Yep. Alrighty. Thank you for joining us. I have been Luke. That has been Husey. We have been the That Rugby Podcast hosted by the Sports Booth. We will see you again next week. Goodbye. Peace.